Well, Smash. you might be it's true, but it, it the, 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 the thing is, is... Hello, bitch. Welcome to the Mouthpiece, episode seven, year one. Today, we're going to talk about some World Series of Poker structures with recently anointed WPT champion, David Baker. And then we have an amazing can't-miss interview from the man behind the scenes, the man who runs all the PokerGo televised events, Mr. Morius Gandani. So here we go, week seven on the mouthpiece. Welcome to the mouthpiece. And um, this week, uh, what I want to do is there's been a lot of talk in the poker world about uh, the 10K structures. And David Baker went out of his way to get them correct. And I wanted to make sure I had it all right. So what we're going to do is we are going to call recently anointed WPT champion David Baker on the phone and he's going to talk about the 10K structures at the World Series of Poker this year. So let's give him a call. Hello. Welcome to the mouthpiece, Mr. World Poker Tour Champion, David Baker. What's up, Michael? What's up, my man? So what's going on in, with the structures? Uh, I saw that you fixed them. I knew they they looked like a horror show when I uh, looked at them uh, three days ago for the first time, and I was thinking Alan Kessler had to have something to do with these structures, which he probably did. And uh, I'm glad. Uh, No, he had, he had nothing to do with it. Oh, wait. Why did they change it to and try and make them longer? So basically what happened was if you took a look at the last two years structures in the 10 Ks, right. uh, we start, we started with 50 K and chips, right? We would play one hour levels on day one, which I and loved. then which were great. And then we would play two hour levels on day two. Right. And then uh, if you're fortunate enough to make it to day three, yeah, they would stupid. go back to one hour. They would ridiculous. go back to one hour levels. Right. Yeah. So uh, essentially, what happened is we would lose about half the field on day one, which mm-hmm. was fine. Right. Um, maybe in some disciplines we would lose even more. Right. Um, and some disciplines, um, because 08, a nine-handed 08 chop pot game right. takes uh, a lot longer to get to a winner than a six-handed, one winner, deuce to seven, triple draw game. Right, and we would, we so, would get to, uh, the, it would take us a, a late, late in day, day two to even make the money. I remember that. We'd bring back like right. 15 players or whatever. Go ahead. Right, exactly. A lot of times we would bring back like 18, 24, 26 players on some of these events. Well, so what they did this year with every event is they added more chips. Right. So they gave every, every event gets 20% more chips. And they didn't change the structure. So basically what uh, the structure was when I looked at it was the exact same structure we used last year with 20% more chips. So when I started looking at it and and, uh, a couple of the final tables that I've made in day twos and day threes that I've made in the last couple of years, I've noticed that day two plays really, really slow. Yeah, it was great. And too too many people come back Mm -hmm. on day three and then the chips haven't condensed enough and you change it to one hour levels and you basically, after a couple hours, when you get shoot. to the final table, you're basically playing a crapshoot with um, 
you know, the every hand is just no, I mega, felt, mega important. I, I felt which, the same I mean, way, every, which is good. Every tournament has to get to that point right. anyway. Right. But, okay, so I took a look at that, and I'm like, okay, uh, on day two of last year, we would come back with, and we wouldn't get as deep as we needed to on day three to go into day three now we're playing the exact same structure with 20 percent more chips we're going to have we're not even going to make the money on some of these tournaments but they're 90 they were 90 minutes instead of two hours on day two no no they weren't they were i'm i'm telling you they were two hours on day two they've they've been two hours on day two for several years no i'm talking about this year i know i look i thought i saw one hour then 90 90 yes okay yes and that is because i Um, well, last year I talked with several players and we all agreed that day two went too slow and day three went too fast. So the only way to really even that out was to speed up day two a little bit and slow down day three. So instead of having, uh, 90 minutes on day, instead of having 120 minutes on day two, not getting deep enough, not condensing the chips deep enough, too many people would survive to day three, and then the final table would end up being very poorly structured because we would have to jump. So now what I uh, proposed, and I put a poll out before I proposed it, Mm -hmm. and it got uh, over 80, like 85% of the people um, that took it thought that 60 90 90 was better than 60 120 60 and it it's not even close it's going yeah, I, to be I, better i said it last year the same thing so are they go, it's going to be so, 60 90 so I, 90 so, 90 now or it's not going so, back so to 60 is, is it so this is what so this is what i did i talked with the world series and they were nice enough to listen to um to why we needed to change it mm-hmm. and now they're 60 90 90 there will be some tournaments that will go to a day four. Now people mm-hmm. are complaining about this, and rightfully so. I complained about it first. Yeah, me too. Um, I I don't really want to play four days. Me neither. But you have to you have to look at it from the standpoint that when you add more chips, that there's just no way of getting it done in three days without just severely bastardizing the schedule. Because right. if you think about it, you've got you when you register on day two you can't play you can't play from you can't play all those people down to six people and they the biggest issue that they had was um they're trying to build an audience on poker go Mm -hmm. and the one complaint that they had was that the final tables never started at a consistent time because what would happen was we would come back on day three we would play late into day three, usually around dinner time or something. They would make the final table, and then they would start streaming. They would go to like two, three in the morning. Sometimes they wouldn't finish, and they'd have right. to come back and you'd the lose, next day. You lose the audience and, too, and and have and have day four, and you'd lose the audience, and it it just wasn't good. So basically, what they said this year is, we're just going to do everything the same, but we're going to pause when you get to six people, and come back every well, televised so. event. Um, at noon on day four. So basically, it really didn't change that much. If it's not a PokerGo streamed event, they'll let you continue to play on. But most of the 10Ks were, were playing till three in the morning or no, um, or two or three people were coming back on day four anyway. It's really not going to affect you too much. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, um, by speeding up day two, day three won't be 
I, I um, think you're right. I don't. Th- I don't think it'll go in a day fours by speeding up day so, twos. Some of the, some of them will. It all depends on the discipline, right? You know, like deuce to seven. You know, if yeah, that's not, not going to day four. If, no way. If it's not a if it's not a streamed event, it probably won't go into day four. But you have to look at the fact that just some of these events just they're they're just they've been going to day four for years. I mean, when yeah. I won my bracelet, I played no. on day four, and it was a twenty five hundred. Yeah, um, I know. FPT and I came back on day four and played heads up. So, I mean, it it just happens anyway. I think it's a big uproar about very little, considering the fact that, I mean, to make a day four, you've got to be the final six. I mean, how many times? Of the 10K, not even of the 1500s and things like that. Of the 10K, I mean, how many are you going to make? I mean, we're we're all hoping that we can make, like, what, two? That's my goal, to make two. If you make two of six, you you at least break even or make in the 10Ks. No, but, I mean, you have to look at all the other tournaments you're playing, too. You're looking to hopefully make two or or maybe three if you're lucky. That's great. So, I mean, it's really not going to affect you too. It's not going to affect anybody too, too much. And um, the real thing to remember is the people who are complaining about the day fours, which, again, I was, I was one of too. them, yeah. and I am still one of them. I, I really don't want them to go to day fours. Well, they're confusing the schedule changes. I mean, the structure changes, equating that to that's what's making the day four. It's not. Uh, with my schedule, with my structure that I proposed and they approved and we're using now, uh, it actually speeds it up a little bit. None of these tournaments would have gotten done on day four if, I mean, on day three, if we didn't do that. And then also you got to look at it from the, from the standpoint that since not as many people are going to come back day three, you can, you know, you'll now have a little bit gap in your schedule to be able to register other things. Whereas if it stayed the same, you might be coming back on day three and not even cashing or be coming back on day three and not busting till, you know, lunchtime and and still not even have a final table under your belt i mean you really need to we need to be getting to these final tables Um, or you know basically what happened was and and in the 10k dealers choice last year it was very very obvious when we came back for day three we had too many people and we had three tables and we played and then after about four hours like we were playing so sky high that you know, you lose one stud hand or one producing yes, hand, you get scooped or whatever, you know, then, I mean, you're just out. You, I went from like chip leader to out in, in basically a hand and a half. I mean, yeah, um, it, it happened to me know. two years ago in the dealer's choice where I had one and a half bigs. I ran it up to the chip lead and this is that two in the morning that was one racer one this is at two in the morning yeah. the the limit that we were playing so high that no everybody had there was five of us left nobody had more than four big bets in front of them and it was a joke so so basically I, I the hope is we all want to place a little bit slower when we're going from about you know 12 people down to one. We would all like to play a little bit slower. The problem is none of us want to play extra days. So how do you accomplish both things? Not playing extra time and getting to play slower when it matters the most. Well, the only way to do it is to speed up some layers along the line. So Mm -hmm. day one already plays pretty fast and day two played super slow. So if we can slow, if we can speed up day two just a little bit and we're going to get an extra couple of levels out, 
mm-hmm. on day two, well, now less people have to come back, and then those wow. less people can play longer. And because if I come back on a day three, if you come back on a day three, it's okay. I mean, I, I'd rather I'd rather when I'm playing for the bracelet and, and the hundreds of thousands, I'd rather be able to lose more than one hand. Um, yeah. And I think most people will agree. The, the biggest issue is that, you know, also we needed to keep one day one slow enough to where you could still rate red on the beginning of day two. Well, see, I, that's proposal, the thing. That's the thing I'm against. I, I'm. Uh, it's my biggest thing that I'm against in all of poker more than I am against re-entries is nobody should ever be allowed to register on day two of any event. I think it's a disgrace. Uh, but when I didn't know that, like we, even the last two years, they had it where in the 10 case you had to register by uh, the last by level. the end of level eight. Right. Yes. And I, that think, was two, two years ago. Oh. Last year you could register on day two and here's why oh, yeah, they that's did right it. okay you are right because i was really upset with the people in the triple draw that were because alan kessler made them have two uh at the end combined two hour levels instead of just the one so it brought the levels were at three and six instead of five and ten thousand and the people were able to buy in day two with like 10 bigs and 10 bigs as you know in limit is a lot that's two hands and now they're playing two hour levels and the other people who grinded and only played one hour level the night before i just thought that was kind of unfair in that tournament look they're not trying to make the softest tournaments for 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 us what they're trying to do is make them the, these 10ks the most prestigious possible now what can they do to make them more prestigious well you can get some of the guys who play in Bobby's room and um, who play the Aria one day high rollers um, to play the 10 K world championship. So, so what ends up happening is if you make it, well, you have to register before the end of day one, your guys like Seaver and Rast and Cassidy and showman and, you know, uh, and Gordo and Claude and all these guys who are, we're playing every day in Bobby's room or they're playing the, the 25 K's at the Aria. Well, now they have to make a decision when it's 10 o'clock. Do they get out of my game, their game and come play or do they not? So a lot of them would just skip the events. Mm-hmm. So by enabling you to register on day two, they can play all night in Bobby's room, wake up at noon, come register for day two and start with their 10 blinds or mm. 10 bets or whatever it is. Mm. And uh, and if they run it, fine. And if they don't, they, they'll go play cash that day. So I think it's a net positive. I think it's a positive. It's not that big of a difference between registering 8 and 10. Now, if you think it's an advantage to register on day two because you can't get knocked out, then – you know, I, by all means, if, I had, of, I mean, if, if I had they, the money like I used to have, I think it's a big advantage. But because well, here's, I, here's I, the thing, Mike, I don't, it, I can't. If you're going to if you're going to put up the 10k, mm-hmm. you need to do what you think is in your best interest and the best advantage. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, guys like Venue and Chris Ferguson, they they reg almost every event. They every, think, everybody that's been winning all the tournaments were like the two of the three biggest uh the the two plo tournaments last year the 10k plo 8 and the 25k uh plo were won by people that registered on day two and i just you know with um 75 percent of the field were out if you think 
if you think it's an advantage, then you should take advantage of it. Well, I just don't, um, I don't think it was fair like Sean Deeb. Not only was he allowed to register with 40 big blinds on day two of the 25K PLO, but they all, since it was a one re-entry, they also gave him a re-entry. And I'm thinking to myself, they're going to give uh, a guy 80 big blinds to win two and a half million with 75% of the field out. How can that be fair? You know? Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't know the specifics. I don't want to comment on that right. specific tournament or that specific situation. And, um, your number. Your numbers seem a little off. I doubt that seventy-five percent of the people were gone. On day there were. There but, was like a hundred and twenty. It was like four seventy, and there was a hundred and twenty-five left. And then he got, he got to one hundred and thirty-five left. I mean, I'm within ten. I'm, I mean, Marco Sam. I I could go. Re- look at re- it. Regard, regardless, here's the thing. We're all we're all faced with. The structures, we all know what they are. We all know what the late reg situation is. We all know how everything is going to go down. So it's up to you to decide what you think gives you the best chance to win. I do everything. Yeah. I, I Sometimes I'm going to register on time. Sometimes I'm going to register at the end of level three. Sometimes I'm going to register at the end of level six. And sometimes I'm going to le- register on day two. Um, to me, I want the maximum play, mm-hmm. and because I think that my skill edge is going, I would rather give myself the chance to win the chips. Obviously, I put myself in harm's way where I could be eliminated as well. But I think you, if you can get um, towards the top of the chip count list, that you have a better chance of of winning. And I'm willing to, you know, to put myself well, in harm's way that way. Right. But there are going to be times where I'm going to be in other tournaments and I'm going to appreciate the fact that I'm going to be able to register late and right. I'll just gamble and, uh, you know, and, and start with 10 bets and knowing that I have to win early. I, I just don't think it's really a huge advantage or disadvantage either way. And if somebody does, then by all means, but, you know, you do what you think is in your best interest. That's what we all need to do in these right. tournaments. Okay. But let's, let, let, between me and you, let's, let's just say, like 10 big bets in limit is two hands to the river. You have to be a really bad, you have to either run real bad or just play bad to lose two full hands to the river. And for other people to have to put in a 12 hour day and and you don't, um, there was like four tournaments won by people who registered on day two. Uh, we always had the saying, um, you know, tournament poker, stay alive long enough to give yourself a chance to get lucky. Well, now they're letting people register uh, with half the field out and they don't have to play that whole day to stay alive long enough to get lucky. Look, there's That's definitely it. there's definitely case studies and things uh, that, that it is an advantage to register late. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Ben Yu and, mm-hmm. and Chris Ferguson both were, you know, either won or were in contention for player of the year. Um, the last couple of years. Look at Phil Hamia. Look what he's done. He always light registers and, late, and and they register late a lot. Now you know it's it's the thing yeah. is if you think that's your advantage, go ahead. You also have to look at the fact that you know you're you're going to you know a lot of the people who are less skilled are going to be out by that time. Your table mm-hmm. draws are going to be tougher. It's right. harder to to garner chips. Um, right. But yeah, you can you. You can run it up. You know, you look at the people who have won because they register on day two, but there's a lot of people who haven't won because they register on day two. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy. It's easy to cherry pick. You might there's be right. Be a, you might be right because be a, two years ago, Ivy 
uh, bought in at the very last level and he offered the whole tournament. So, you know, I, I guess you're right. You know, it's uh, you see the people, uh, that's probably one of my biggest flaws, uh, but you see the people that do well and you say, you know, that's, they got a lot of money, that's unfair. I looked at the schedule, I'm, they start at three. I, I don't see myself ever showing up before eight. It doesn't make any sense because there's just, there's not the dead money in the 10Ks like there used to be. So you're playing with all, all great players pretty much anyways. It's so Well, look, there, that's something that I, I think needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it needs to start with the 50K and it needs to... Um, some of in the 25k PLO and and all the bigger events, mm-hmm. but I think it needs to trickle down to the 10ks too. And we need to look at ways to incentivize the players to start on time because I've been saying the fact this of the matter is a yep. lot of there's a lot of the amateurs who they want to play from the right. beginning, and there's a lot of the casual rec players and. Um, and you then, know, there's you f- the, the the guy for the guy from Foxwood who's who plays stud every day and wants to come down and play stud and he's you know they're we're jockeying tables and there there's a lot of movement and right. there's you know they have to sit there and look at forty people on the clock and and yeah, you know they, exactly. they, they they don't they don't love that and so yeah. I think at least you're on my side with that people yeah but 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 here's the here's the issue Mike before you get excited and and yeah. your panties in a ruffle. Yeah. Um, make make sure to get the facts, and I appreciate you calling right. and asking. But um, these these changes that have been made right now, these last minute changes to the 10K structures, are better for everybody. Okay, not for the not for the people who, not for the people who are who are rich, not for the people who are poor, not for the wrecks, not for the pros, for everybody. Right. You know, uh, your time is going to be more valuable, and it the, the tournament is going to pace out much better. And that's all we want is just a balanced tournament. Thanks, brother. Take care, man. All right, man. All Good right. luck. Bye-bye. Talk to you. Bye. The Mouthpiece. If you'd like to take part in our phone call segment, you can give us a call at 702-329-0480. And if you're a snowflake or a pussy and you don't want to talk to me, you can email me at mouthpiecepodcast at gmail.com. Also, follow me at the TheMouthMattiso on Twitter for times that our call-in segment will be live. Okay, one of my favorite part of the show is our phone calls. So let's see what people have to say this week, and let's light up the lines. Welcome to the mouthpiece. This is Mike. What's up? This is Time Traveler. Oh, fuck. Can you beat the world record for longest marathon? Oh, poker. you can't beat no world record for. I told you, I played like a week and a half fucking on crack cocaine in fucking 2000. Well, this, this, this will be with no drugs. Yeah, yeah. This will yeah. be a Guinness World Record. I here. played with guys. I played with uh, Yen Chen, who, who literally played for nine days straight, never took a drug, never took a thing of coffee. By the sixth day, wow. he he was. That's amazing. Uh, but that's, that's a lot why. Of that's how there. he ended up losing uh, two million in one session because he was up for like <laughs> literally seven straight days. So, uh, anyways, but well, I wish I you luck money on that. Like that to lose, I'm I'm planning on winning. I did an eighty-hour session at Aria earlier this month and cashed out fifteen hundred. Had a lot of fun. Well, that's good. Just ha- just trying to have fun with this, you know. All right, well, man. Well, thanks for. 
Thanks for answering the call. You got it, man. Take Look, care. Looking forward to looking forward to meeting you someday, huh? I'll be at the World Series all summer. All right, I'll see you there. You got it. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Welcome to the mouthpiece. This is Mike. Hey, Mike. My name is Jesse. How are you doing tonight? Good, Jesse. How's it going? Doing good, man. I saw you're online, and uh, I have some things I wanted to ask you about. So I'm so glad that you uh, posted that tweet, man. All right, man. Let, what do you want? Let's talk about it, man. What do you want to talk about? I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Uh, I was listening to a Joey Ingram uh, podcast today mm-hmm. that went into detail with Doug Polk about uh, Johnny Vibes. Are you familiar with him? I read something about him, but I'm not familiar with him. I saw. I read something about this recently. What is? What, what does it pertain to? Tell me. He. Um, he has a Hendon mob uh, that shows, I think, 68,000 or so. Like, nothing, not too bad. Mm-hmm. He makes YouTube vlogs that are, uh, he's got like eight, eight or 9,000 subscribers, or right. he gets like a lot of views. Right. He came out with a 40K package for this upcoming series right. asking for 1.4 markup. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That, so that was the whole, that's what started the whole markup debate. That's where I heard yeah. that name. Okay. And um, what's your question? And so, so Doug Polk came out and said, like, man, your name is Johnny Vibes. You're all about, like, you know, happiness and poker and trying to, like, pr- promote this image. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you, uh, you you obviously, compared to how many play, tournaments you play and this Hennon Mob score, based on these on these metrics, you are potentially not a winning player. Yeah. But you, it appears well, you're selling your audience this 1.4 markup. Mm-hmm. Are you also telling them that this is a very high-risk uh, situation. I just wanted to get, you know, yeah. this is something that's really well, that big was, right now. So. That's glad you asked it. That was touched on it on an amazing article that Brian Rass wrote two days ago. Do you follow Brian Rass by any chance? I'm familiar with him, but I haven't okay. read his article. Go, go, go to follow him on Twitter, Brian Rass. Read the article about knocking people who are getting markup and how it's bad for the game. Let's just say... And he made a, I'll just give you a summary of what he said, and then you can go re- see the article. He basically said, yeah. let's say the guy's a losing player, right? Do you want to stop people who believe they're a winning player from playing in a tournament? So if he is a losing player, why would you be calling people out for being a losing player when you want that guy in a tournament it gives you another dead spot in the tournament. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And and why do you want to insult them and tell them they're not worth that much? You want to get as many people to to invest as much as you can. (laughs) uh, And if they, hey, we live in a capitalist society. You get whatever you can. It's great to bring extra money into poker. I mean, if you're somebody like Daniel, who's worth $40 million, and you want to sell pieces of yourself at the World Series at even money, then you can go ahead and do it. You know, a lot of people don't have forty million. As a matter of fact, probably nobody in poker does beside Daniel. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, I uh, I think that uh, his, the way he wrote this article was absolutely perfect. If they if you think they're not worth that much, and they're why would you tell anybody? You want that person, and that's another person that's more plus ev to you it was an incredible article you gotta you gotta go check it out i have i've always had a yeah. lot of respect for rast i always thought he's one of the best all-around poker players in the world and uh when i hear that uh saw that article i was really impressed 
So, oh, and, sure, yeah. No, other, that makes total sense. Like, yeah. Of course, you want to make sure that his package is sold 100% guarantees in all those tournaments that he's advertised. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and even if he, hey, if he can't if he can't play his way out of a paper bag, why do you want to discourage somebody from backing this guy? And he made a great 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 point. So, any other thing yeah. you want to ask? Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, have you? I, I apologize if you've already heard talk about this, but what's what were your thoughts on the whole cataracic thing? What? Have you heard? Have you uh, talked about that recently? What? Oh, she yes, that's a, what we were talking about yesterday. Okay, so we were uh, yeah. um, we actually were we're kind of looking or like. Well, and I guess she got kicked out of a WSOP circuit or something at Bally's, and she thought she was uh, getting in a $400 tournament, and it was a $1,500 tournament, and I don't even know what the beef was. She got kicked out, but I was just, we were looking this up yesterday, so I don't know what the whole thing's about, but uh, you could uh, you could tell me uh, what exactly what it yeah. was. Yeah, absolutely, man. So she, you're right, she, um, she's made lifestyle vlogs forever, and she recently, with friends, she's friends with Marley, who does a poker vlog as well. Okay. And she's recently gotten into poker within the last year or so. Mm-hmm. So she's trying to turn, she's used to making content on YouTube and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Now she's trying to convert that into poker content, mm-hmm. and she's still fresh at it. She goes to, she hasn't played many live events. She, she states that. She goes to Bally's, because she's a Vegas local, and plays in the, decides to play in the evening circuit event. So mm-hmm. the late start, she says she's read the structure sheet, memorized it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, they accidentally register for her for the main event, mm-hmm. and she knows this. She says, "Like I got extra chips. It's not the same. It's not the right." Oh, uh, she only paid four hundred dollars, and they gave her the ticket for the main event. Is that what happened? Yeah. Okay. So she she says she didn't realize it, but but she talked about looking at the structure sheet. She says, "Like it felt weird. Like I had more chips. It's a higher blind level than what I expected because I mm-hmm. done my preparation to to be prepared for this four hundred dollar event." Um, and then she like asks her friends online, like, you know, she sends some messages, Hey, what should I do? And somebody, some friend of hers is like, just play it. If yeah. you cash, they'll probably just take it out of your, like whatever they're going to pay you for yeah. the rest of your, your ticket. So they disqualified like, oh, okay. her. They disqualified her. Right. right. So she, she takes a few, she knocks like two guys out. She's got like triple starting stack. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the floor manager finally realizes what happened. Knows it's her comes over. Like, this is like, four or five levels after she's registered mm-hmm. and says, ma'am, do you know that you're in the main event? And she says immediately, yes, I do. <laughs> so the floor is like, what the hell? <laughs> Holy well, crap. And, and, you, they, and they disqualified her, right? Is that what happened? Right. So the, so the floor loses his, he loses his cool. Mm-hmm. The ballet's floor, he, she names him. That's a, that's all the bad part about this video she made mm-hmm. that she like said, his name was Nick or something like that. Like she calls him out and she becomes the victim in the story. Like he was mean to me, Victim. he he humiliated me in front of my friends, uh, she, and you know on, on the other side it's like, um, lady, it, yeah, it, this is her fault. I mean, it's a typical. She tried to take an angle, and she knew. And uh, from what it sounds like, uh, I mean, I if I'm in the wrong, I th- you know, something like this happened uh, at uh, one of the Aria high rollers. The guy had signed up for the regular four hundred. Or whatever the daily aria tournament and uh, they gave him a ticket to the high roller and he was sitting in the high roller and and he busted he literally busted like three or four people and they realized it and they kicked him out and they basically took all the, his chips and blinded him off but it was kind of suck because it was he, like other people who had paid like twenty five thousand 
uh, were out of the tournament. They got, I, this happened like two years ago. I remember it. And uh, so, uh, listen, when you try and steal, this is what you get. I mean, right. just be an honest person. Never steal from anybody. And uh, try and be as honest as you can. And uh, and then uh, that's the best way to live life, man. Are you going to attend the uh, the CSOP event? I know I've always seen you on like the little list of you know the Matt Stout's charity event in the summer. Are you oh, going to play that oh, at Planet well, Hollywood this summer? Oh, the yeah, if uh, it, the one in the uh, in, in in Florida. No, right? no, no. The one it's uh, right in the middle of the right in the middle of the summer at Planet Hollywood, the oh. charity series of poker event. Oh, I'm. I mean, if I'm not in a if I'm not in a uh, event, I'll play. Yeah, I always do. Sweet man. No, I cool, I, cool. I always support Matt Stout. Um, I mean, I've always been there for him, and he always fucks me and doesn't show up for me. But I still love him, anyways. <laughs> you know, uh, he does a lot of good things. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, uh, if I'm not in a tournament, I always, I always show up for Matt. So, I'm helping out. I'm hosting karaoke for him this time for people who get knocked out at that charity event. So, okay. hopefully, I'll see you there, and I'll get you to. Well, I'm hoping that I won't be there because that means I'll be deep in a tournament during the summer. So, uh, right, right, right. if you see me there, that's a bad sign. So, it's a bad uh, thing. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, my man. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Bye, bye. The mouthpiece. Welcome to the mouthpiece, my good friend, Mr. Mori Escandani. How are you? I'm doing fine, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, looking forward to the World Series of Poker. I want a lot of my listeners to understand who Mori Escandani is. Why don't you tell everyone? Well, uh, Mori Escandani used to be a young uh, poker player that played Mike Matisau quite a bit. Yes. About 30 years ago. <laughs> oh, come on. No, not that long. One thing yes. I'll say, Maury was absolutely probably one of the top five stud players in the world. Is that a fair statement? Well, there were only six, six stud players in the world. So that's not that big. <laughs> He's, and he was a great at Limit Hold'em. I mean, Limit hold thing was is we used to play limit hold them stud stud eight or better omaha eight or better and maury would like dominate and hold them in stud and had no clue in the omaha and stud eight or better so it evened everything out (laughs) still has no clue (laughs) well um i wasn't i wasn't too good in splitting things you know right Uh, well yeah i don't blame you you know uh, but those those are fun days at the Mirage. Uh, we played quite a bit. Oh yeah, and, uh, it was great. I remember you coming around and asking uh, who wanted a piece of Scotty. Yeah. It, it would have been the easiest money I ever made in my life. And uh, it wasn't like these days where you had to put a markup on it or anything. It was just right. straight. You know, he wanted to sell eighty percent, whatever it was. Right. And uh, sure enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what piece you had, but I know after that, uh, you didn't look back. Yeah, well, I, I tell people all the time, you know, I had a dream Scotty won in the World Series. I ended up putting him in satellites, used like 80% of my bankroll after like, I don't know, six satellites. And then I said, I, I can't put up much more. And he bet there was one more satellite to go in the, in the, 98 for the 98 world series 
And I said, well, I'll put up, I was putting up a thousand each time. And I put up 500, two other people put up 250. And I got a third, they got a 16th. And we gave Scotty a third. And um, yeah, I never looked back, but uh, I always like to tell the story as that was the only person that I ever won staking because I lost about 4.1 million <laughs> staking people after that. So uh, I don't know if it was a godsend or um, a death warrant for me, but whatever, you know. So listen, why don't you, before we get into what you do now and what you've done for poker now, why don't you tell some of the listeners some, because I know you play with a lot of, old time poker players. You have any good old time poker player stories? I mean, there's zillion stories. You know, when we play, as you know it, Mike, I don't have to tell you this. Right. We grew up playing poker where there was no internet poker. So right. every day there was a story. Right. Every exactly. Every there was a story. You know, when people were sitting around the table, the whole idea about poker was socializing, having fun. And of course, you know, bad beats rolled in and people reacted differently. Right. Uh, and, uh, and at times, just your creativity uh, took over to make it fun, even when the games were pretty snug and not much action. Right. I remember there's so many stories, but you're telling me what is coming off my top of my head. Mm -hmm. Many people don't know who Danny Robinson is now. Danny right. was an uh, old buddy of mine that we played a lot of stuff together. He was Chip Reese's, late Chip Reese's... Uh, partner when they first came to town right and uh people say legendary stories about them before i came to vegas where danny and chip uh used to play five and ten dollar and getting the games going and uh next thing you knew uh they just uh dominated the whole city and they had all the money right. uh and i got to set the scene for you so you can really appreciate what happened mm -hmm. uh we're playing five-handed seven card stud and there was a hunchback gentleman, we call him Sid the Kid. Mm -hmm. He was playing with us, and there was another gentleman named Tommy Cress. And mm -hmm. Tommy, uh, and it's so terrible that I'm speaking about everyone that who's not with us anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Uh, and uh, uh, Tommy Cress uh, was big loser in the game. He was stuck, and he had a habit of taking his comb out and combing his hair when he was nervous. <laughs> Danny and playing Tommy Crest and Sid, and I don't know who the fifth uh, person is, I can't remember, but uh, uh, a lady came in, this was really late or really early in the morning, like maybe three, four o'clock in the morning, started vacuuming uh, the poker room from a corner far away from us, you know, like <laughs> one corner of the table. There might have been two or three tables going. I've been there. So she started one corner and started vacuuming. And Danny and I immediately noticed that Tommy is extremely agitated with the nose of the with the noise this this vacuum was making. You know, just you know, you're you're stuck big, you're tired, you're playing, and then just the noise of the vacuum cleaner was getting to him. And we knew this because half with the repetition of the comb coming out and combing his hair. <laughs> Danny, Danny looks at me and I look at him and I swear to you, I knew immediately what he was going to do. It wasn't even like just one look. You know, we were pretty close in the way we thought <laughs> how we were in the game. Uh, just, just like, let's have fun. That never went away. Danny got up from the table and went over 
quietly gave the vacuum lady $25, the $25 chip. To come over? To come over by luck, by, by he the, said, come over slowly and ask that gentleman there to move his chair so he can sweep <laughs> so he can vacuum <laughs> up. <laughs> and, did, and she did? This was... Unbelievable scene. I mean, this is stuff that you know you just don't see anymore around poker. So he comes and sits down. And he gives me his head that it's all set, and I'm waiting. And the vacuum is coming closer and closer. She's unplugging it, you know, from one corner, bringing it another another plug <laughs> that's closer to us. She's vacuuming, and Tommy is just looking at her, like getting ready to jump up, you know, like rip up the vacuum from her hand. She finally comes real close to her and says, "Sir, would you mind moving <laughs> moving your chair? I'd like to vacuum under the chair." And Tommy got so frustrated, they picked up the ashtray full of cigarette and threw it halfway across the poker room, and and telling her, "Just go clean that, go clean that spot. I just made it dirty for you." And uh, the ashtray hits the the wall pretty hard, and uh, Sid, the kid, really didn't know what was going on. Mm -hmm. All it was a big loud bang and he just got up like all <laughs> it started like looking around like trying to figure out what was happening and then they saw Danny and I just breaking out in laughter they knew what happened so uh, yeah there's so many stories like that they were, they were fun I mean good clean fun you know you, you, know, you poke uh, at somebody and they, they were, you know Tommy was a pro he wasn't he wasn't like a tourist we would have never done that to a tourist but right of course obviously um, yeah there are lots of memories yeah and you know I I, I got into poker as a professional in 96 and I kind of missed some of the stories but I watched the day that Sam Grizzle went broke in the, in the game and David Gray got up and said oops game's over and Sam Grizzle went and hit David Gray in the face Oh yeah, that was a big fight. <laughs> I'll never forget that. It was so <laughs> funny. I mean, there's there's just so many fun stories from the days, and you know, and uh, like Mike Sexton was on, and we talked about it as the fact that so many of the younger players do not appreciate the players that came before them that paved the way for them to be in the position to make the millions and millions that they make nowadays. So, you know, and I came after you guys and after Stewie Unger and and then I was part of the big poker boom and so were you. You could tell everybody you basically were in, um, you were part of the whole cam creation. Tell everybody how that came about. That's right. In the uh, early, well, mid-1990s, mid mid uh, I was... Uh, Playing with me was, all the time and losing, but oh, beside that, I was the executive host at the Mirage, so yes. I was a professional. I, I was basically a uh, poker room pro that they wanted to um, uh, consult with uh, about the rules, about you know, uh, making sure the tourists that were coming are having fun. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had met a gentleman uh, prior to that when California had opened uh, doors to the stud poker. Mm -hmm. and uh, we became good friends and he lived in New Jersey but he came to the Mirage to play with us mm -hmm. uh, play with us he just had so much fun playing with us right. and um, around 1993 or so he started saying you know I 
watched this episode um, of poker. I've been watching this poker, uh, World Series of Poker on, on uh, uh, ESPN or other channels, uh, specifically like uh, I remember 1983 was the first time CBS came in uh, where Rob Pete and Tom McAvoy, right. uh, they were both friends of mine. And made it to the to the uh, um, final of the World Series of Poker, mm-hmm. and it was really unwatchable because they hardly played any hands, and right. uh, uh, this thing dragged on forever. It was boring show to watch. And my good friend Henry Ornstein kept referring to these shows that he watches that they're just it's not it's not they're not just they're not doing justice for poker. You don't you right. don't see what is happening. It's just the storytelling. It's not really the game. And he believed that if we could somehow show the players whole cards, we can actually bring poker to life. And he was right. right. So we developed the table. The table is still in my storage. Uh, we call it the Holy Grail. And the table was made for seven-card stud because that was a prominent game mm-hmm. in those days. Right. And... Um, uh, we even tried to get a game going with, where eight players played for 400000 each. Like, mm-hmm. made a huge game. But Henry's idea was have parimutuel betting on the on the game. Right. So you can just imagine all the legal battles and all the uh, meetings and stuff that we had to go through trying to pull something like that off. God, that would be incredible in, in today's age. Can you imagine somebody, like um, like they do the live at the bike and they have parimutuel betting on who's going to win? I mean, that would be incredible, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Henry was incredibly creative. I mean, yes. uh, he had 100 patents to his name. Yeah, tell, uh, tell, ever, tell some people a little bit about Henry Ornstein. I know, I mean, I you know him a lot more than I do. I played with him many a times. He was, you know, just an enjoyable human to play with. He, I mean, he's such, still around. He's still a great guy. Um, God, he's getting up there in age. But ex- tell, tell everybody kind of like, like his vision on all kinds of different things that he that he was actually involved with. Henry just uh, Henry had an eye for um, making things different and better. I mean, not that he succeeded all the time, but he always looked for something that he could improve and uh, uh, something that public would uh, appreciate uh, or enjoy or be entertained by. He went from car races to everything else, but his childhood, uh, as a young man, he survived several concentration camps. Yes, I know. Uh, the Nazi era, and uh, when he came to the United States, uh, he was, I believe, 21 years old, or maybe even younger, right. with absolutely no money. And in 1974 and 1975, two years back to back, the Transformers, the dolls, the That's toys, right. That's he brought to the market, sold four hundred million and five hundred million back to back years. So he was the just, creator of the Transformers. I forgot. Right. I knew it was something big. I forgot what right. it was. Yeah. Actually, what he did with Transformers, he he, he was in a convention, and uh, this Japanese fellow that had some toys uh, that everybody was interested in, and nobody was interested in the Transformer. Wow. And it was a simple thing. So and the- Henry's you know, like that saw the potential that this could be just a simple transition of one doll becoming another, but then the sky's the limit. He can like come up with so many different transformers. Right. And of course he was right. 
uh, poker, the same thing. Like he saw what was lacking in poker and he had the money and the will to go after it and prove to everybody that, uh, you know, once you bring the whole card cams, uh, you can really tell the story and the strategy of the game. Mm-hmm. And that's attractive. Yeah. So I'm glad I met him. I'm glad we made we became friends. We're still friends. He's 96 years old. Believe it or not, wow. he still plays three times a year, three times a week, seven yeah, cards. Yeah. They play anywhere from one and 200 to two and 400 right. in his apartment <laughs> in New York. So I need, to, uh, I need to be invited to that game, by the way. Um, somebody. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a few people that, that would uh, want to be invited, but they're not going yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. You know, I played with him. He's 96 now. So I played with them at, the Taj Mahal in nine, a lot, 99, 2000. So that was 19 years ago. So he was like almost 80 years old then. And, uh, you know, when he got in the game, it was, you know, he was a little bit older and it was, you know, it's tough. I'm sure he played a lot better in his younger age. So I, you know, I'm sure nowadays he, you know, it's all for fun for him, but it's, he's such a great guy. That's getting up there. Like you said, yeah. I mean, he probably, yeah, he's hardened hearing now and uh, his vision is not that good. But I'll tell you one thing, uh, the saying that Doyle has, that we don't stop playing because we get old, we get old because we stop playing, is right. so true about Henry. Right. He still, like, he can carry a conversation and be very coherent about some things that right. would shock you. And what he could remember from how many years ago is amazing. Yeah. And I really think that's one of the, uh, biggest benefit of playing poker it keeps your mind sharp I agree. and i will tell you, you don't have to gamble for a lot of money i'm not i'm not at all promoting that right. but even if you have your weekly bi-weekly or uh sporadic little games that you play with your friends keep on doing it because the game really challenges your brain cells <laughs> that's good for you that's why my brain is dead now because i don't play much anymore because of everything i've been through i'm talking about the kind of poker that henry plays <laughs> well you know it's still the same you know i, I mean every day that I, I'm, I'm sitting at home out of action i just I throw the dog or the cat against the wall and try and gamble if they're going to be okay or not. That's my gambling. You know what I mean? No, I'm just joking. Uh, so, you know, so Henry was in on the, on the uh, whole care cam and, uh, did, did he go to Steve Lipscomb or I know he patented the whole car cam. How did it all come together? Well, Henry had a patent uh, on the whole car cam, but, mm-hmm. uh, Whole card cam also are called POV cam. POV stands for point of view. Okay. And uh, now there's so many small cameras, even your iPhone. I mean, right. that's a POV. It's like it's, it's sitting somewhere that can, you know, catch right. a tiny camera and catch, uh, uh, you know, videos you can, you can record things with. So uh, at that time, uh, there weren't that many small cameras. So we had to purchase them for a good chunk of money. Right. And he really invested a lot of money on that first yeah, poker table that we better, believe it or not. I remember that table. All, like it was yesterday. Yeah, six hundred thousand. Oh my almost, god. Hundred thousand with the engineers and uh, uh, you know, designers to put this table together and then and the patent that was written was strictly for that table. Uh, meaning patent specific, specifically said 
that the, uh, the camera is sitting under the table catching the images of the cards on a mirror uh, that is reflecting the image to another mirror and onto the camera and on. So uh, if, if that pattern was written any broader, if it said something like uh, in any way or shape that you can catch players' whole cards, mm -hmm. I don't know if it got it on. I don't know if the pattern would have uh, you know, uh, been approved, but if he could get that kind of pattern on, he would be sitting right on top of poker right now. Nobody oh. could be showing anything without paying oh, Henry. Oh, wow. I, I didn't that, even realize that. With any device now or, or invented in the future, if you are uh, collecting the information from players' whole cards is you know covered by this patent or something like that, it would have been very difficult for people to challenge it. Wow. But his patent was challenged very quickly, but, but, and uh, he wouldn't even... Uh, he wouldn't even pursue it because uh, what the whole cards that came later, again, the point of view, the placement of camera right. was inside the rail, yeah, which made a lot more sense. Uh, under Underneath the rail, the cameras hit the lights up above. Mm -hmm. So you really, you know, like go through that shot. It wasn't a very clean shot. You saw the cards for a yeah. second done. So when you talk about Steve Lipscomb, I always give him a lot of credit because Henry and I, and knocked on every door, uh, believe it or not, even with the help of uh, late uh, Rene Angelil, Celine Dion's husband, who was yeah. a friend of mine. Ma amazing guy, yeah. We went, yeah, we went to uh, the top uh, dog and CBS Sports, CBS uh, uh, Les Moonves. We went to his office. We uh, Henry pitched the idea to him after Chris Moneymaker won the right. World Series, and like you know, he tried to get it on. Um, it wasn't easy to get it on until, uh, you know, Steve Lipscomb uh, coming in and uh, showing the whole world, you know, like what the whole cars can do. Him and Lyle Berman had a meeting with us and they, they uh, uh, licensed they, they licensed the patent. They, they paid us nominal amount of money, small amount of money. Mm -hmm. uh, to for Henry to allow them to use the whole cards and they were using it from under the table starting out with, then they saw the rail uh, cams that was done for World Series and everybody adopted, you know, the change to the rail cam. Right. So um, uh, when Steve opened the door to the television and put uh, the World Poker Tour on Discovery Channel, everyone realized that this small uh, uh cable channel all of a sudden can have million six hundred thousand viewers right and uh after that it became easy like it opened doors for other uh networks talking to us and being interested in it that's uh, how the uh, poker superstars were born yeah so you ended up starting your own um television company that we basically filmed high stakes poker uh poker after dark um, and you've gradually worked your way into no longer ESPN doing the filming at the World Series of Poker, where your company is the main company doing the filming. Why don't you touch a little bit on that, how you started that, and uh, how it's gotten to where it is today? Well, it, once I uh, learned, and I'm using that term loosely, mm -hmm. uh, the television business, which right. is... Um, it's not, it's not an easy business, but believe it or not, it's easier to uh, understand the fundamentals of 
what makes good TV mm-hmm. than fundamentals of poker. Right. Uh, and I was, I happened to be uh, very lucky to be the person that was uh, a professional poker player for uh, a couple of decades or longer, uh, stumble into the TV world. Right. And uh, I'm glad that I didn't let it go. Me too. Uh, it was hard, although it was uh, many, many, uh, um, you know, at least a couple of years of 90-hour weeks uh, sitting with editors, listening to people, watching shows, understanding how the sausage is made. And, uh, uh, and then putting uh, a show like High Stakes Poker uh, into motion, where, right. you know, if you had given it to uh, a producer that didn't understand cash games, uh, they might have not understand, you know, they might have tried to find a story in it where the game was the story and right. uh, people that you brought in uh, were the characters that would uh, make it a compelling television. Exactly. So at time, for me, it was easy. Mm-hmm. Um I, I'm trying to k- kind of do the same things now because I've been away from many of the games. I'm trying to go out there and play and just see all the characters and see which one, uh, which you know, which group have a good chemistry together. Right. And uh, at the time, I mean, you, who was it? It was you. Uh, Helmut, Phil, Phil Locke, uh, Ivy, uh, Daniel. Um, yeah. And uh, I was not at the mercy of the cards one bit. Right. I didn't care if big hands didn't show up one bet. When I formatted these shows, mm-hmm. uh, I would sit there, and they ha- I had DVDs after DVDs, and i just watch them right. to uh, basically edit like a day to three-hour shows. And I would have tough time, you know, like if I wasn't a poker player, I would have really had a tough time to make it look like seamless. Right. But uh, just sitting with you guys, playing with you guys before, right. and everything else, I knew that, uh, you know, like if I take hand one and then jump into hand seven and then hand 23, it, it will just flow nicely. Mm-hmm. So the shows were edited down to one hour or two hours. Right. Uh, it became fun to watch. And of course, uh, as we all know, Gabe, Gabe Kaplan uh, <laughs> really brought those shows to life. No, he did. Again, you know, and again. it was he was great to play with. He was great for the show. He he's he was still Mr. Cotter to everybody, <laughs> no matter whatever happened with Gabe. There was never Gabe Capital, no matter what. It was always Mr. Cotter. And the good thing about this, like that's to, to the point that I made about me being a poker player and then trying to produce a show, Gabe was a poker player. Gabe wasn't just your average you no. know, guy that understood poker. He was a poker player that knew all of you guys. Right. Now, he had obviously the raw talents of a comedian and he brought it into the show and uh you know it was a combination of him and aj benza and all of you guys really that should get all the credit for uh uh, the fun shows that we had when i won nbc it up in 2013 right and people were I mean, the, it, you know, all the internet trolls, Twitter trolls, young kids like, well, why is Mike Maddow so even being invited to play? He can't play anymore. He sucks, blah, blah, blah. And the bottom line is, is first of all, I didn't suck. Second of all, it was a poker show. People didn't seem to understand what you were always putting together was a poker show. We weren't there to watch... 
I mean, we had pretty much most of the best players in the world, but we weren't there to make sure that every one of the top head-up players in the world were in this thing because it was a poker show. So you had a couple of celebrities that were invited, a couple of people who won seats that were invited, and the people that brought ratings to the TV. And, and 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 every time I played it, it was there was I never had more fun playing poker, win or lose. And I think everybody that played in that show will will say the same thing that that was the most fun anybody can have playing poker. Would you agree? Well, with that, huh? you know, as a producer, when you, when you make these shows, uh, as a producer, you want it to be successful, meaning that you want it to last long, you want them to have longevity, you want people spend more time viewing the shows you don't want people just tune in for five minutes and and jump off you want them to watch you know as much as the show if it's an hour show you want to watch at least half of it those are the success things that producer looks the ratings and all that good stuff right but a poker player what is what benefit does a poker player that's not in this show is getting from this game that that show that's out there that was also in my head Mm -hmm. as a poker Player, I wanted to open the floodgates. I want people to see how much fun poker is. Come on and play. Right. It's always good to have fresh, fresh blood, as we say. Absolutely. Uh, roll, roll. In the old days, tournaments uh, had that purpose. You know, like we always liked the tournaments because it promoted a whole bunch of new players coming yeah. to our world. Now we have the TV. Do we really want to put two people there that you can just put their cardboards out there and have them wait for aces? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's something that's going to invite others to come in? Or do we want to have Mike Matasau says, I'm getting tired of this guy. Let me show him what is happening here. Or, <laughs> or some you know, remarks like that, that yeah. you know, like people watch and say, look how much fun this game is. Right. Uh, I don't mean, you know, like... Uh, I don't want. I don't want. I don't like it in the games and the shows. People take it too far. I agree. You know, don't go far. That's going to be now uh, uh, disappealing instead of right. appealing. So, um, uh, you guys, I have to admit, you, Phil Helmuth, Gus Hansen, uh, uh, Tom Duan, Daniel, Dan, of course, you know, Doyle, all you guys, you know, like your characters attracted people and then there was I, and Ivy was the assassin Ivy was the quiet assassin you had all of us fucking with each other talking shit about each other having so much fun and then Ivy even though he had a lot of fun too I mean he is pretty a really funny guy you know he comes across as the, the quiet assassin but he would throw so many remarks out there that would have the whole table just laughing their asses off so you know it, it was really a lot of fun and i think that's i think what's changed a lot is the fact that you know so many great players now and then they give you all these chips and everybody's so deep stacked that you know it, it's tough to really sit and have fun playing for all this money in the no limits scene. Uh, do you find that to be a problem? Don't forget many of the great players and they are great players. Oh, they are. Absolutely. They are. Absolutely. They yep. really do play the game well. Many of them learned after playing hours and days and years on the internet. Right. What they learned was the game. Mm-hmm. What they didn't have to learn is how to socialize in the game. Right. That has become a challenge. I mean, uh, uh, they've been producing World Series of Poker now for uh, 
eight or nine years, and we are always excited when a character rolls in. Right. Because, uh, you know, these kids are so good that when they make it to the top, and, uh, you know, you see damn good poker, but there's that one little ingredient is missing. Uh, do you remember, like, I think there was one year that they put some rule in about uh, talking to the player while you're in the hand trying to get information, and Daniel went crazy, like, you know, why, why can't I turn a card over? Why can't, what's it, one more head up, you know, and why can't I, you know, talk to that person? And then I, I was the originator two years ago uh, of the slogan, let make poker fun again. And every time I play, it's let's all have fun. And the thing is, is the people in the real world that are watching this, and even when it's high stakes poker or, you know, just a tournament is a $10,000 buy-in in a tournament, $10,000 to 80 90% of America is so much money, so much money. And they don't need to sit and watch a million dollar cash game with everybody with, or, or three, four million on the table, which there were some high stakes players that were great to watch. But as far as the everyday person that watched the World Series of Poker, it it was about characters. It really never was about how the bigger you play, bigger, big. It, it really made no difference because once you're, everybody had 10,000 in front of them, that was an obscene amount of money to the real world. Would you agree with that statement? I, well, I do, but but I also uh, I also think you have to be uh, uh, like a one stop uh, shopping center that that offers everything. Oh, I agree. So yeah, people go to the buffet. Maybe you know, you, you, some are vegan, some are uh, like to have the uh, you know uh, prime rib or or soup or yeah, you know, have it all. So I agree that. Fun elements of poker is important, but all of a sudden when you bring in the best in the world and have them play a huge buying game, that is, there's something there too. It may not, it may not be appealing to your average Joe, mm -hmm. but there's a good chunk of poker people that are really trying to learn. Right. And they're not interested in, uh, you know, uh, any kind of, uh, uh, um, any kind of a chatter. Uh, they just want to see the best play. Right. I would say that should be maybe 10, 15 percent of it. Right, I agree. And I agree. The other 60 percent should be an everyday fun poker that just attracts people and then kicks them up, you know, to the to the next level. Right. You have to offer them all, and I think what we are doing right now at Poker Central mm -hmm. uh, through the Poker Go, we really are. If you uh, watch the shows that we are doing, we have everything. We have mm -hmm. shows that are. Five and ten dollar limit to you, shows that are three hundred thousand. Yeah, I, I think those shows are great. I think Live at the Bike is great. Um, I, I I think it's great that that, that that what we're doing because when I even when I when I play on that show the five ten game, uh, even though I have no money, it's still a small game for me because I'm so used to playing so big. But uh, I we ha I have a lot of fun and. Um, it's, uh, you get some, you know, if you can get some of the characters that are willing to play small and just 
have fun. It's uh, it's a great it's just a great atmosphere. And then a lot of people play a lot looser because it's a smaller game. So if you get some of the top players in playing in like the five ten game, it's uh, most of it's a lot. Of, it's too small for them, and they they can't they can't win. Cause I I, I know because I used to be that person. <laughs> I mean, bottom line is. Uh, you can play a very high limit buying game mm-hmm. and table is quiet and it's all business, that's right. fine. Right. You cannot play a smaller game and have people to be all business and be quiet. No, no, no. no. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> if you're playing smaller games, it's there to uh, be the ma- major attraction to many of the people that are watching how yeah. much fun poker is. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into uh, what you have in store for the 2019 World Series of Poker and what the plans are with the television, uh, with Poker Go, and uh, uh, rumor has it, I guess you guys are going to be uh, televising every event, final table event. Is that correct? Well, I sound like a broken record. Every time people ask me, uh, what do you have in store for okay. uh, this year's WSOP, right. I always say it's going to be better than last year. Right. You always do. Yep. The 2019 WSOP, uh, we have all the varieties in there. We have tournaments from $500 buy-in, uh, the, uh, you know, the uh, 50th uh, anniversary. I'm playing it. I said I'd never play a $500 buy-in at the World Series because I played the Colossus like two years ago, and it was a complete clusterfuck. But you know what I learned the most? is now that you can register online and you put the money into an account, and this is going to make things so much better at the World Series. I can't even describe what it's going to be. I was in a meeting today. We had uh, People don't realize how much work WSOP and uh, folks at the uh, Caesars Entertainment and Rio put together to make this happen. I mean, literally the production starts from January 1st. I'm not making this up. They have weekly, bi-weekly meetings, and bi-weekly meetings that goes into weekly meetings and goes into daily meetings for this to happen. And um, uh, like today, uh, I can't share you the number, but I can tell you already thousands have signed up to play the big 50 already wow it's so gonna be amazing away, and they already have a few thousand in the books <laughs> what, <laughs> they're getting ready with, re- with re-entries there's probably going to be twenty thousand. correct you think Is that it, it could hit that i was i was gonna, i was just telling that you know what like five million guarantee is is a piece of cake it sounds like you know we have we're three weeks away and they have already a few thousand in there mm-hmm. But uh, again, this summer, our camera, starting from uh, uh, from June second, I mean June first, excuse me, mm-hmm. it's just not going to shut down wow. until the end of until July sixteenth. Wow. We are filming every day. There's going to be two stages, and both of them are going to be at the Amazon. So you have the big stage and the secondary stage next to it. And uh, we are just nonstop. So um, uh, the World Series of Poker is wait. growing. There's some really exciting news that I, I would have to yield to the marketing team and the press release guys to put it out there, mm-hmm. not, not the producer's job. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, we are totally geared up and ready to deliver uh, as many, more shows than has ever been produced in the World Series. Oh, so God, that's going to be awesome. That is, that is 
honor. And I'm not, again, you know, I'm hoping to say the same thing for 2020. That will be more than this year. Right. But I'm going to have time even thinking, how can we top this year? <laughs> right. Looking at the schedule that's in front of me, it's you know, going to be a lot of shit. I was telling people, I said, um, uh, if it wasn't for me, that the fact that I always... Un, without knowingly dropped the F-bomb, I said I'd probably be the main guy doing all the broadcasting on the networks right now. I I tell the story about, uh, I think it was 2010 in uh, when we were doing WSOPE, and I said to you, let me get in the booth. And Okay, you could get, and I got in the booth for, for like 20 minutes and you pulled me out. And I, I know deep down inside that 20 minutes, you're singing to yourself, please God, don't let Mike drop an F-bomb. Please God, don't let Mike drop an F-bomb. <laughs> Usually have four or five bleep machines when you're in the booth. You know, usually there's only one. We just want to make one escapes. The other one can come follow right away. It's not just fuck. It's just fucking fuck fuck. <laughs> but I always said the brand of English uh, that you and Shiki's English, John Chicago. <laughs> I love Sean, man. I love Sean. All I have to, uh, all someone has to know is two words, and would understand ninety percent of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Listen, if I get knocked out of a tournament, there's a mixed game final table going on. I have nothing to do. I will come in the booth and give a little insight on all the players and what's going on because it is on Poker Go, and uh, you can get away with a little bit, uh, I guess, on Poker Go than you could get away with on a regular. You know, ESPN or something, but uh, listen, this has been great, Mari, catching up. Uh, I it's great for the poker world to understand what's going on behind the scenes in the World Series of Poker. Um, I'm going to be at a minimum of three final tables this year, and I will win a bracelet. You can mark that down. It might even be more, but I'm well, giving, I'm saying I'm calling my shot. Like Babe Ruth right now. Minimum three final tables, and I will make win my fifth bracelet this year. I should have won it last year, but you know what? I'll just, yeah. but I hope you're wrong about this year's WSOP. I hope you're in more than one. Uh, you're holding more than one bracelet in your hand when it's done. Thank you, my friend. I, I know, I, and you're one of my dear friends, and you've always been there for me, and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm gonna take a couple bracelets down. Get the, make sure those uh, broadcasts are uh, really high rated for you this year, buddy. All right, hey, that'll God. be fantastic. All right, my man. Take care. Say a little wife for me, and I'll see you in a few weeks. Okay, buddy. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. The mouthpiece. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to episode seven of the mouthpiece. I hope you enjoyed it because I did. Uh, stay tuned next week. We're going to have absolutely an amazing interview with two-time WPT champion Jonathan Little. Also, keep your eyes out because my first video vlog is coming out next week. Look for my videos. Tell all your friends. Tune in to The Mouthpiece. Thank you for listening. The Mouthpiece.